So are you struggling with doing your first syndication deal? If so, let me ask you this. What's your biggest challenge, you think? I find that most people, the reason they're challenged with anything they're doing, finding deals, raising capital, thinking big, is because they feel like they need to go at it alone. They're the lone wolf of multifamily investing. The truth of the matter is that the people who are successful faster, who do bigger deals faster, they never do it alone. They have a team around them. They have professionals around them, but they also may have partners around them. And that is literally the key to accelerating everything. So if you're struggling with finding deals or raising capitals, uh, look yourself in the mirror and see if that may be the, the root cause is that you're trying to go it out alone. So in this episode, we're going to drill down deep on how to accelerate the speed and the size of your deals by joint venturing. Hey, let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. So with me on the show today is Brian Briscoe, co-founder of Four Oaks Capital. And what I love about these guys is Brian Brian kind of came into our program and networked with people in our DealMaker Mastermind, other mentoring students, and together they created this company called Four Oaks Capital. So 11 months after they joined our program, they closed on their first deal, which was a 55 unit in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And what was fascinating about that is it was a real nail biter to get it done for reasons that Brian's going to talk about in the, in the show. And what's also interesting is a lot of the first deal kicked in and they were actually under contract before they closed that first one and they're under contract for the third deal. So it is incredible what these four have done in unbelievable short time frame. And uh, Brian's going to talk about that because in his mind, literally within 17, oh gosh, 14 months, his mind shifted from, hey, I'm going to do a six unit deal to, hey, I'm going to do 500 units in 2020. And what precipitated that mindset? How did he achieve that in such a poor period of time? So that's what we're going to talk about on the podcast today. We're going to talk about how he networked to find his as current part partners, how they structured their company and to find the roles, because that's, that's always a challenge with partnerships, how they found that first deal and how their the broker took them seriously, what they did and how they closed that deal, because it wasn't looking good there at the very end, um, how they were able to raise money and how the law of the first deal kicked in. And also how their plan is for scaling their portfolio, because now that's their next challenge is how do I scale all that? So well, let's get right in the show here with Brian Briscoe. Hey, Brian, welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, being on the show. Well, this is great. It's just been uh, really exciting to watch you evolve when we met like a year ago or so at uh, one of our events. And you're like, well, I'm about to get deployed uh, and I'm going to do my <laughs> first deal while I'm deployed. And I was like, well, sure, sure you are. Good job, you know. And my yeah. gosh, uh, you've come a long way in the last uh, uh, 12 months. And we want to drill down on your on your first deal. Obviously, this is kind of a first deal highlight. Mm -hmm. But uh, before we get to that, I kind of just want to rewind the clock a little bit on what prompted you to even think about real estate or multifamily to begin with? My dad always said that, uh, you know, I had champagne taste on a beer budget when I was growing up, you know, so, so at some point in my mind, I always wanted to succeed to have, you know, enough money to be able to do stuff. And, you know, I'd say, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, I did, just did a simple math program, you know, the average starting salary for a college graduate is 50,000. Okay. 50,000, you know, 1 million divided by 50,000. Oh my gosh, 20 years to be a millionaire. That's not going to work. You know, so end of the day, I just, 
you know, so when I was in my, my mid twenties, I just started reading a lot of books and I know it's cliche, but I found this little purple book called rich dad, poor dad. And you know, that, that's something that really turned me on to, to passive income streams and real estate. So, you know, the year I, I bought that book, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a single family house every year. Next year was 2007 before the crash. I, I bought a house and fortunately it, it cash flowed through the crash. The year after that, you know, the market had crashed. I bought another one and I had planned to keep on doing it. But, you know, once again, you know, active duty military, you know, a couple of deployments got in the way. And then, you know, I called a couple of banks and, you know, lending was tight and nobody would give me money. And at the time, I didn't understand the creativity, you know, a portion of it. I didn't understand anything else. I just thought, well, banks aren't going to give me money to buy another investment property. I guess I'll just stick with a couple and uh, figure it out later. So, you know, fast forward, you know, several years later, you know, this would have been two years ago. I'm sitting on a ship, another deployment, you know, somewhere in, you know, the Middle East and had a lot of time on my hands. And I started reading a whole bunch of other books on real estate and I was still focused on single family, you know, and I remember picking up the book by Keller, the millionaire real estate investor. And that one just blew my mind. But, uh, you know, I started spreadsheeting and, you know, I, I got two degrees in math. So spreadsheets, I, I can do spreadsheets, but I started spreadsheeting and I figured, okay, if I, if I go back to my one house per year goal, how long is it going to take me to be financially free? And the answer was way too long. Um, I don't remember what, what, what it was in years. So I cranked it up. Okay. Two per year. You know, it was still way too long. I'm like, okay, I got to figure out a different plan. And I picked up a book on multifamily. I don't even remember which book it was, but I mean, it was like the light bulb went on. So the next time we had a port call and I had Wi-Fi, I downloaded every multifamily book that I could. Anyway, I got home from the deployment and one of the multifamily books mentioned, you know, three or four podcasts that I should listen to. One of them was yours. I think Rod Cleese was in there, but it had like uh, Joe Fairless was the other one. Those, those were the three multifamily podcasts that book recommended. And so the podcast ended up being my commute, my gym time, you know, every free second I had, I had my earphones in and I was listening to, to podcasts. I was living in San Diego. I knew I was going to move within a year at this time. And so I just kind of put things on hold and I said, as soon as I move, you know, we'll, we'll launch it, you know, and I found out I was going to work at the Pentagon, you know, Northern Virginia. And I remember, uh, you know, I'm sitting at my in-laws house, and I'm listening to, to one of your podcasts. And it says, you happen to mention that you were in Northern Virginia. And I'm like, that's right. He is in Northern Virginia. So I signed up for your online course that day. It was just like, well, if he's in Northern Virginia, I'm going to sign up for his course and at least we'll be close. So that was, that was kind of, kind of the start. You know, I was always interested in it. Um, it just took me a long time to get to go. And, you know, August last year, I moved, moved to where I'm at right now. And you know, that, that's really where the multifamily journey started. But, uh, you know, from yeah. there, it was just, it, it can kind of seem overwhelming, you know, all, all the things you have to put together. You know, I remember a lot of times in the process, just saying, okay, what's, what's the next thing I need to do? You know, when, when you lay out everything you need to do to, to purchase a multifamily investment, it's a lot. And so, yeah, I remember going to work with a to-do list of call five property managers or call five brokers or, or whatever and stepping out at lunch and, and making the call. But uh, end of the day, I attended your DealMaker Live and that, that completely opened my mind. You know, before DealMaker Live, I was thinking that I had to do my first one by myself. You know, I had this limiting belief 
that nobody was going to invest with me if I hadn't had a success story of my own. You know, if I hadn't had one that I could show, hey, look, I've done this successfully. So I was looking at like six unit properties, eight unit properties. And, you know, the Dealmaker Live, you know, I remember talking with a couple of people and just realizing that I could go a lot bigger and a lot faster if I had the right help. You know, so I started researching, you know, ways I could get help. You know, somebody I met at your Dealmaker Live said, hey, you can partner with us. And that was a very appealing thought. But at the same time, I was, I was researching, you know, your coaching program. And in my mind, I was just like, okay, number one, I know that I, I would have a hard time doing this myself. So if I had help, you know, whether it be from the guy I met who also lives in the DC area or through coaching, I could accelerate everything. So decided to do coaching and through the forum, the Dealmaker uh, Mastermind Forum, I met my partners that I currently have, you know, so there, there's four of us now. Eric Shirley was the first one I met and Eric introduced me to Todd Butler, whom he met in, in the Dealmaker Mastermind Forum and then to his, his friend, Brian Mallon. So within a couple of months, we were under contract on our first deal. It was a two different apartment complexes sold together, you know, 16 unit and a 39 unit. We closed on that one in October. And just last week, we closed on our second deal. You know, another 33 units added on there. And right now we're under contract for 80 more um, that we should close on February, March timeframe. So end of the day, you know, it's, it's a kind of a testament to, you know, number one, putting your mind towards something. I made the goal at Dealmaker Live in November last year that I would close on two apartments in 2019. You know, I closed on two deals, three apartments. So, you know, checking that box. And the other thing was, you know, absolutely, you know, I needed a support network. You know, it doesn't matter where you go for your support network. You need to be around like-minded people to be able to, to help you get across the finish line. Yeah, I think a lot of people approach it and think it's a, it's a lone sport. And in fact, it is because no one around you does this kind of stuff. So if you talk to your yeah. friends, family, neighbors, even your local real estate association meeting, they're all going to think you're kind of crazy because there's so few people doing that. And you're like, wow, I am maybe a little crazy. And maybe your wife even thinks you're crazy. And then you go to events like Dealmaker Live or other events. And you're like, oh my gosh, there's a whole bunch of crazy people in the room. And you realize <laughs> that you're not as crazy as you think. And this is frankly, one of those great benefits of bringing your spouse you know, to these events. They're like, oh my yeah. gosh, my husband's not as crazy uh, you know, as I thought he, he was. And I think the, the theme, this was the first Dealmaker Live we did in 2018 was, was mm-hmm. around joint venturing, partnering as a way to accelerate. And that first deal that you did uh, you didn't find that, right? It was Eric's or, or Todd's deal, right? No, that that one I found. Oh, you did um, find. I think yeah. you said someone else uploaded the same deal to the uh, to Slack. Oh, yeah. Or, so yeah. that was how Eric and I met. Eric and I were both working on the same deal. It was a 104 unit in Columbia, South Carolina. We were we were both underwriting it, and he he uploaded it to Slack, and I saw it. So we ended up putting an offer in together on that one, but we didn't get it. But the same brokerage floated me the the property in Spartanburg that uh, that we ended up closing on and uh, for some reason they they showed that to me but they didn't show it to Eric so you know I, I had first bite on that one and I, I took uh, took point on that one let's let's, let's unpack yeah. this a little bit if you think that we're glossing over a bunch of stuff first sure. of all for those guys watching listening if you're listening to this on podcast hop over to YouTube because you can have comments and discussions here so if you have questions as you're watching this just put it in there and we're gonna we're gonna monitor that as well if you're on YouTube and you want to listen to us on the go, then check it out on, on iTunes via podcast. Brian's mentioning a couple of things like Slack and Dealmaker Mastermind. Dealmaker Mastermind is an online forum program, and it's extremely affordable. It's, uh, it's like $49 a month, and it allows you to connect with other investors, 
It allows you to upload your analysis using a syndicated deal analyzer and then also gives you access to our deal desk where you can submit deals for partnering with us and some other lead sponsors. So that's what he's talking about here. So Eric was a dealmaker mastermind. And then he introduced you to uh, Todd Butler, who was also another mentoring student of ours. Yep. And then he introduced you to a friend of his. There's four of you guys. So let's look at the timeline here, really, because you really, from the time you started the program with us and you closed your deal, how many months went by, roughly? 11, 12? 10 months. 10 months. Um, okay, 10 we months. we closed the deal. So 10 months, um, yeah. you know, and we, we, had a, we had a snag at the end and we had to, to, to buy an extra extension, but uh, yeah, We'll get into 10 that. Months. Well, 10 months should have been, uh, so 10 months. And then the second one, how much time went by between when you got the second one under contract after mm-hmm. you closed the first one? How much time went by there? We had it under contract before we closed. Aha! Yes. Okay. So um, we actually had two under contract before we closed. We ended up dropping one. But uh, yeah, right before we closed, we had you know due diligence um, on two properties while we were trying to close. So it ended up being a fun couple of weeks. Um, and we're going to get into us. it. Let's not get ahead. Yeah. We're going to get into it. This is, this is going to be All great. Right. So you mentioned, I'm going to go back to what you said. You uh, and Eric had 104 you were pursuing together. And that yep. same broker then brought you the deal you ended up closing on. Why do you think that broker brought you that first deal after you obviously failed to close on that first one or didn't pursue it or didn't work out? What was behind that? I drove down there. So I live in ah. D.C. This, this is in South Carolina. And sometimes it's about a seven-hour drive. Yeah. Um, you know, my wife's got family down there. So, you know, we, I, I visited some, some of family members too, but I decided, you know, I need to do something. You know, I can't just sit at my computer. I need to do something. So I picked a week, you know, took it off of work and just started planning the trip. The same brokerage had another one that they wanted that we were, we were underwriting. And, you know, a couple of days, it, it was probably the Friday before I went down, I got an email from the broker who said, hey, we just got an owner to agree to list this property with us. It's about two miles from the property you're looking at. Do you want to look at it too? You know? And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to be down there, I might as well, you know? And so basically what happened is I looked at it, but we, we were so hyper-focused on the other one. We had put so much work and effort into the other one that, you know, my mindset was, okay, let's, let's look at this other one, take this through to completion. We put an offer in on that one and we didn't get, there's two offers in and, and the other guy went under contract with it. And so I, I reached back to the broker and I said, Hey, it's, it's been three weeks since I looked at that other property. Is it still available? And fortunately for us, and this was, you know, very fortuitous is, you know, the broker said, the owner told us to pump the brakes and not to show it to very many people. He's, he's had, he may be having second thoughts. I don't understand, but we've kind of stopped marketing it. And so I said, so is it available? And she says, put an offer in and we'll see. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. You know, so there, there, you know, competition, there was almost no competition on this one. So we worked up an offer and a couple of days later, put the offer in, you know, and we batted the offer back and forth and ended up getting it under contract. So, you know, why did they show that one to us? You know, we, we were persistent. You know, I was, I was definitely talking to them a lot. Eric was talking to them a lot. They knew that we were working together and drove down there. I walked a property with them, um, walked two properties with them. I think that's kind of, kind of it. I think that my observation is uh, normally we teach, hey, don't don't drive to the property until you have another contract, which is all fine and good because most of us are buying property far away from us. So, you know, we don't want to waste time and, and money. However, I have observed repeatedly, and you're an example of that, that you can really accelerate the relationship building by actually going down there in person before you have it under contract. Yeah. This is an example of that, right? So you're, you're down there, you build a, a relationship over the phone. 
And they're like, hey, let's tour this thing. And so doing, you really set yourself apart from the vast majority of these brokers, uh, buyers on that list. And, you know, they want to be efficient slash lazy, right? Like, like all of us. And they're like, yeah. well, gosh, you know, if I don't have to create a bunch of marketing material, put in a website and email my buyers list and show this thing for the next four to eight weeks, you know, that would be good for me. So this is the magic of these off-market or semi-off-market deals because they're like, my well, gosh, there's a certain strike price that the seller wants. And the listing agent knows this, of course. And they're like, man, hey, Brian, if you come in around this ballpark, you know, you can have yeah. the deal and I don't have to do any work for it. And I still get paid. Yeah, And that's, absolutely. that's the magic of this off-market deals that you've done. You really accelerated that. Now, when you approached this broker before this even happened, why do you think this broker was taking you seriously, right? Because you're not going to call up as, hey, my name is Brian. I own 10,000 units, right? You didn't have that. Why do you think that this broker took you seriously enough to invite you down there? I had a referral to that brokerage, actually. I had very little luck, you know, cold calling. I mean, every once in a while, brokers would give you the time of day. I've had brokers literally tell me, I don't want to waste my time with you. I mean, one of them said, I get 100 calls from guys like you every week. So... I'll put you on my email list. I'm not going to meet with you. I'm not going to spend more than a couple minutes on the phone unless you've got, you know, an offer in hand, you know, type stuff. So this particular one, I was working with another broker who we, we had built, built a, a little bit of a rapport, but they, they didn't focus on multifamily. They, they did a couple of multifamily deals, but didn't focus on multifamily. And one day she told me, she's like, hey, I don't think we can do what you want us to do. You know, we, we don't do multifamily very much. So I got a friend from college who's a broker in South Carolina. Do you mind if I make the introduction? So, you know, really that was, I think it was the introduction that really helped because when you're cold calling people, you know, you, you got like a couple of seconds to catch their attention. And, you know, if you don't say the right things or do the right things or show your ability to close, they're just going to shut you off almost immediately. So uh, this came in with a referral. I put a couple of LOIs in previously and offers. So I think the combination of the referral and then just the, the constant feedback. They sent me one deal, I put an LOI in. They sent me another deal, I put an LOI in. So yeah, I think combination of the action and, and just constant communication. That's great. That's awesome. So you toured this other property, the other one didn't work out, you got beat out, and then you put an offer on on this one here. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the entire process leading up to closing and anything unusual there or what, what happened uh, to that point? Yeah. So it, it's an older building, you know, so it was built in 1930s. Well, two, two apartments. One, the 39 unit is in downtown Spartanburg, South Carolina. It's a 39 unit. It was built in the thirties. And then we had a 16 unit, a couple miles away. that was built in the forties. So they're, they're both older units, beautiful wood floors throughout. I mean, it was in very good condition, you know, overall, it was just very dated prior to putting the offer in. We were looking at the comps and this is the only apartment in Spartanburg, downtown Spartanburg, that rents for less than $1,000 a month. And they were averaging about $780 a month on rents. So, you know, through the due diligence process, we, we paid a lot of attention to, okay, it's a very old building. What could go wrong? You know, so we dove through the financials, through the maintenance reports. And fortunately, they had very good maintenance reports. And, you know, one thing we found is they had, you know, like, $10,000 in plumbing repairs in the past year. You know, so I started scratching my head, called the plumber and, you know, talked directly to the plumber who did everything. You know, the, the roof was old, but, uh, you know, we, we had an inspector walk through with us. We had our property manager walk through with us. We had the maintenance person from the property management company walk through with us. 
So during the due diligence process, it was just many set of eyes, you know, inspectors and contractors and maintenance personnel and, and property managers to kind of walk through it. I think the, uh, the hardest part of, of, of the whole process was probably getting the loan. You know, it's, it's just a lot of documents that they ask for, a lot, a lot of information, you know, so, so get, assembling all the information, getting that through and, and going through the loan process was probably the biggest, biggest hurdle we have to overcome. You know, then at the end of the hurdle, so we, we ended up getting two Fannie Mae loans. We looked at different options of, you know, should we do a portfolio loan on these two properties? That's what the previous owner had. Or should we just do two separate ones? And when we underwrote it in, you know, May, the answer was two separate. You know, we were going to get more proceeds for two separate. So we went forward with with two, two separate Fannie Mae loans, which two is not quite twice as hard as one, but it's definitely harder than one. But yeah. uh, that ended up being the biggest hurdle and snag we had because Fannie Mae is, is regulated by the federal government. They have certain caps on, on lending every year. And about eight or nine days before the contract was over, we had our closing date set up every, we had money in the bank, you know, we were ready to close, but I get a phone call from the broker and she's like, Hey Brian, I got some bad news for you. Rates went from 3.9 to 5.1 in the last three days. I'm like, ouch, that sounds bad. You know, and I knew what it meant, but you know, so my first question is where are the proceeds right now? She's like, well, that's the thing. You just lost 600,000 in proceeds. You know, and we went from being fully committed, fully, you know, having all the money in the bank, your renovation budget, everything to, oh my gosh, are we going to be able to close in just that quick? You know, so internally we circled the wagons and we said, hey, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? So we, we came up with a game plan to get to, to closing and, you know, obviously it worked because we closed on it, you know, so we we moved the needle a little bit, you know, we, we decided, okay, with the extra $600,000 in reserves that dilutes the investors, the investor pool, which dilutes returns. So we ran the analysis and our, our projected investor return went from 15 to like 12. And we're like, e, you know, I don't want to tell anybody that. So basically what we ended up doing to keep the deal alive is moving the needle on the investor returns. You know, we had previously offered a 75% equity to the investors we went to 90%, you know, we just kind of played with the numbers and 90% brought the investors back up to a 15% mark. So end of the day, you know, we, we had two options, you know, option number one was to just, you know, cut the deal and run. We didn't like that option. And option two was to, you know, just give the investors a larger share of the pie and, and proceed. So you know, we took option two, it ended up working out. Uh, we, we closed on it and we've since raised, you know, quite a bit more money and we're, we're in a really good spot right now. So so that that's, was that's that was a tough a tough time to get that deal closed. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, how you guys set out to raise money. You know, and I think for a lot of people, the first deal is the same. You know, you, you contact everybody you know, friends and family, friends and family. You know, so we we basically advertise it to everybody that we knew, everybody in our network. You know, friends and friends of friends to get it done. You know, and it, it, it came in spurts. It was it was kind of kind of interesting. We'd go a couple of weeks without nothing, and then we'd get you know four investors at, at a time. But yeah, in, in general, it was emailing everybody we know, calling everybody we know, you know, telling everybody we know about it. And when people expressed interest, you know, would would follow up with them. So that that in a nutshell, it was it was basically personal networks on that one. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to have, you know, enough people in our personal network to be able to get it, get it across the finish line. 
there's also four of you that really, really helped and everybody yes. did their did their part. And, um, you know, so I know you and Todd were working with our with our mentors. What role did they play during this, if, if any? Oh, they, they played a crucial role. I mean, Josh Eidingen is my mentor. And, you know, we had several calls just just on, you know, one, prior to getting under contract, he was looking at him over my shoulder on everything. You know, I, I sent him the, the analysis. He'd look it over and say, hey, did you think about that? Have you looked at this? You know, and, you know, sometimes I say yes. Sometimes I'm like, yep, never thought of that one. You know, so there was a lot of guidance that he gave us prior to putting the offer in. So when I put the offer in, you know, I, I, I was very confident that we weren't overpaying and, you know, I was confident it was going to be a good deal. And then during the process, it was actually Drew Whitson that suggested moving the needle on investor returns. So he, he was Todd's mentor and, you know, we, we were all on a phone call together. I think Josh and Drew were both in the Zoom call with all of us. And we were just brainstorming ideas. And Drew just said, hey, look, why don't you play with the investor returns? Mm. You know, we, we had tried to pull a whole bunch of different levers to, to make things work. He's like, why don't you just, just change that a little bit? So I had the, uh, the deal and analyzer in front of me, made some changes. I'm like, hey, guys, that works. That actually works. You know, if we move it to 90-10, we're back up to, to 15% investor return. So we made the decision that day to go 90-10 and... We ended up calling every single one of the people who had committed with us and explaining to them what happened. And you know, at the time we were worried that people were going to drop, but we didn't drop a single investor after that one. And it was just like, hey, we had this problem, we had this snag, but what we're going to do is we're just going to give you a larger percent of the pie to keep your returns the same. And oh my gosh, I mean, the response was incredibly positive on that one. You know, I was, I was more worried about the naysayers on that one, but we didn't get a single, single naysayer. And it's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant advice. And, and sometimes you need someone who's more experienced to put things in perspective because, you know, sometimes you would make an offer or go into contact with a deal that you shouldn't have, or, you know, you would have put a bullet in something you shouldn't have, right? So this is a perfect example of, of someone with more experience goes, hey, why don't you try that? And the other lesson here is you got to take care of your investors first. And yes, that means you're paying yourself less, but especially when it's your first deal, we talk a lot, lot about this, lot. the value of the first deal far outweighs any kind of money that you get from that deal. I um, mean, even if you crush it or you make $0, like it doesn't matter what you're getting monetarily. The value of that first deal is far outweighs any kind of monetary value they're getting from that. And there's an example of that. So you guys did a good job with that. Now, uh, speaking of the value of the first deal, you said that you got the second deal under contract before you close this one. How did this mm -hmm. come about? Talk about that. Okay. So when I went on that set first South Carolina trip in March, in addition to touring three properties, I lined up as many meetings with brokers that I could. Mm, and smart. a lot of brokers just wouldn't do it. So there, there's one guy I met, you know, I, I offered to buy him lunch or coffee or something. He's like, yeah, just come over to the office, you know, and, you know, walking in the meetings, like, I'll give you 15 minutes and 15 minutes on the dot. He's like, all right, thanks. And you know, during the, the conversation, we had a good conversation, but he said, hey, I'll, I'll send you some things. And he never sent me anything. You know, it just never sent me anything. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I must have said something in there to, to not get his confidence. Okay. He was probably not confident enough in me to want to waste time, you know. And anyway, probably August, September timeframe when we were getting to, it, it was August, we were getting close to closing on, on the Spartanburg deal. Um, we started talking together, that, you know, among the Four Oaks uh, partners. Hey, we need the next deal. So let's let's start 
reaching out to all the brokers that we've met. So I emailed him and I said, Hey, we met in March, you know, and I probably put something in the email that may have been a little snippy, like you, you probably didn't respond to me because of X, Y, or Z, whatever. But, you know, since we last talked, we've raised, you know, a million and a half dollars. We're, you know, two weeks from closing on a 55 unit deal. And lo and behold, he responds immediately. So we told him what our criteria was. And he's like, hey, right now I've got nothing in your range, but I do have this. And it was a 32 unit that was listed for 800,000. You know, and I thought, mm, you know, we really want to go bigger. But I called Eric and I said, hey, Eric, why don't you, why don't you go over and meet this broker, tour the property just so we can get a relationship with the broker? You know, I, I, I didn't think the property was worth pursuing. But we ended up getting it under contract for $22,000 per unit in a market where stuff like that is, is selling at about 45 to 50. Wow. And it wasn't in horrible condition. The owner, it's not a requirement in South Carolina for the owner to supply stove and fridges. So the owner didn't supply stoves and fridges. And looking through the, the entire apartment complex, you know, there was nothing wrong with it. It was it wasn't in great condition. It's definitely C class, but it was about a 60% occupancy rate. And largely because there wasn't a stove, there wasn't a fridge, you know, so a tenant would have to pay a security deposit first month's rent, buy a stove and buy a fridge to live there. So anyway, we, we realized it was, it was a diamond in a rough and it was at a price that we couldn't beat. So, you know, we put an offer in on that one too and ended up getting it. So yeah, that, that's the one we closed on last week. You know, and we we have about a four hundred thousand dollar renovation budget. We've already got an appraisal. The after repair value is more than double what we paid for it, and you know we're we're probably gonna make a pretty penny on that one. Yeah, it's amazing. Just I, I don't want to gloss over the fact that you uh, met this broker in person. He kind of brushed you off, yeah. and then as soon as you learned that you closed on this deal, he's like chasing you. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's just. And that, that's not the first time it happened. You know, there, there were several brokers, you know, we did the same thing with several brokers, you know, and now when we reach out to them and instead of one of these syndicators, you know, we, we have something under our belt, you know, you, you, you've preached the law of the first deal many times. I didn't really understand the power of it until all of a sudden, all these other brokers that brushed me off are now just taking me seriously, you know, and they're inviting us out to their place, you know, and inviting us out to lunch sometimes, you know, so it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, once you get over that first hurdle, the second one is so much easier. The, the time frame comes down and, and it's just easier to break through that, that stone wall that a lot of brokers put up. It's funny you say that. I do talk about the law of the first deal a long time and people kind of go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But you don't really understand it until you witness it firsthand. It is like light switch went on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that. And, then, and the second one that we have under contract now, so we, we've got an 80 unit under contract. I don't remember exactly when that came under contract, but that was, it was right around the time we closed on the Spartanburg deal that we had that one under contract, you know? So you know, we had analyzed several, we'd floated a couple of offers and you ended up getting that one under contract too. So yeah, I mean, once, once you have a little bit of experience and a track record, it's a lot easier to get the broker's attention. It's a lot easier to be able to get that deal feed to you. So you have you know, a lot more, more things to analyze and a higher probability of, of another deal. Well, so not only have you done your first deal in the first 12 months, I can, that's, I want to emphasize that it's, it's a, it's mm -hmm. very common that people who are really serious and committed, uh, they educate themselves. Maybe they sign up for mentor, maybe not. 
but and they hustle. That's very it's very common that they can do their first deal in the, next, in the first twelve months, like you guys did. But you guys have, will have done three deals in I don't know what 14, 15 months, certainly within Four, eighteen months. Yeah, Fourteen to fifteen. Yes. That's, that's staggering. I mean, isn't that weird that you're sitting here looking back twenty four months ago that you had like three deals on your bills? Like, doesn't that blow your mind? Twenty four months ago, yes, that, that would have been staggering. You know, twelve months ago is, is where I sat back and said, "What's what's possible?" Yeah. Now, now that I know, and you know, I I'd gone through you know, all the videos on, 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 in the ultimate apartment guide course, I had, you know, done millions and millions of podcasts. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but hundreds of podcast hours, you know, just listening and prepping. But, you know, once I realized what was possible, you know, 12 months ago is, is when I made the goal It was actually 13. So November last year, I made the goal to do two deals in 2019. Cause I, I, I caught the vision Yeah, 24 months ago. If you had told me that I would have told you, yeah, it's crazy. You know, that's that's crazy talk. So, you know, a lot of it is the, the mentor. A lot of people talk about mentors. Having that mentor is crucial. Um, and having the network of other professionals is crucial. You know, wherever you go to get it, that network is crucial. Every time I had questions, you know, I could go to my mentor or I could go to any number of guys, you know, within the network and ask them questions. And I still do. Yeah, the support is critical, uh, especially because every deal is going to be a little different. It'll be a little twist, different twist in terms. So having someone to lean on for support in that way is critical. Now, one of the things I'm noticing is that there's four of you guys. And one of the challenges always is how do you split up the work? Now, if it's normally one or if it's two people, you know, it's one thing. How are you guys splitting up the roles and responsibilities in the company? You know, it, it's very fluid. It's a work in progress. You know, so Eric is our, our acquisitions guy. So he's the one that's going out and finding all the all the new deals, getting them under contract. And then I'm the asset manager, but because I'm the asset manager, I'm also helping on closing. You know, I want to I want to be part of that due diligence so I know what I'm going to be managing once we close. So from beginning to you know complete asset management, that's basically Eric and I are the, doing the bulk of the work on that. You know, Todd's basic responsibility is, you know, raising money, you know, so he's, he's put a lot of effort into building networks, building platforms, and he just signed up for the platform building course with you um, last week, you know that, but nobody else does yet, you know, so, so that's, that's his main job. And then Brian Mellon does everything else, you know, he does our deal packets, he does the bank stuff, the portal, the website, you know, he, he's basically doing everything else that uh, I don't have time or the, the skill set to, to actually do. So, you know, but as we go through, you know, we're always, you know, we look at who's got the, the most load and then we, we kind of redistribute things to kind of make it even based on how much time we all have. So you're, you're making it work and uh, you're giving everyone precise things to do, which I, which is very important in partnership. So, yes, it's a small company, so you're expected to do a lot of different things. But if you say you are accountable for acquisitions, you're accountable for asset management, you're accountable for raising money, and you're accountable for basically support. And that keeps everything very clean, right? And yes. I, one of the things I find is when it's not clean, when, oh, we're both involved in acquisitions and money raising, what happens is, and this is my observation, is there's conflict about, oh, you're not pulling your weight. You're not pulling your weight. Versus if you're responsible for asset management and you're not doing a good job, everyone first of all, can tell. And since mm -hmm. you're accountable up front, they can say, hey, Brian, they have a conversation around that. And it's a much easier conversation than when you're sharing asset management with someone else. Well, is it my fault or his fault? Or now the finger yeah. pointing. So I, I think that was my concern early on is that there's too many cooks in the kitchen, but you guys have really addressed that uh, very nicely. On the other hand, it presents another challenge, which is you guys are going to have to scale your business because obviously, if you're cutting everything in, well, let's say four, yeah. then it's going to take a lot longer. What is your scaling plan? 
so our scaling plan, you know, we're, we're basically constrained by how much money we can raise, you know. I'd do a $20 million deal tomorrow if I could, if I could raise for it. But, you know, right now our biggest focus is getting that, that money generating part of the business up and running. So as, as far as scaling, you know, our, our goal for 2020 is going to be 500 units. You know, we want to do four, basically four deals and, and we're looking to do a hundred plus units on every deal. So, you know, we've got that number, but we realize that biggest thing that's holding us up is how much money we can raise. So, you know, we, we've all created avatars, you know, who, who's the type of person that, you know, I can appeal to the best and, and that I'm most likely to be able to, to raise money from. And, you know, I mean, Todd's main job is, is raising money, but we all take part. I mean, we're, we're all, all working at that. So yeah, our, our scale plan, you know, we're a lot more active on social media um, than we were in the past. You know, we, we're starting to post, you know, videos on YouTube. We, we haven't, you know, published that yet, but eventually we're, we're going to publish it. And we're, we're talking about a podcast as well. So, you know, basically we, we need to, to bring more people into the fold. You know, we're, we're going to exhaust our friends and family, you know, really soon on, on, on money raising, but we're, we're trying to bring as many people in the fold as possible. You know, we're also attending meetups. We're planning to start meetups in, in the DC area. There's, there's a lot of multifamily meetups, but, you know, I'm in Gaithersburg. And the closest multifamily meetup to where I'm at, you know, there's one over by Baltimore that's really good. And there's one down by, by where you live that's really good. There's nothing close. So, you know, I'm going to start one in Rockville with, uh, with somebody that I met in this area. And, you know, Todd and Eric are start talking about starting meetups in, in the Carolinas just, just to bring more people in the fold. So the focus on, on bringing money in is just meet as many people as we can. You know, put ourselves in a position where people can see what we're doing. and you know, once, once they see what we're doing and, and, you know, we, we can, we can show credibility, you know, hopefully we'll get, uh, get a lot of investors with that one. Now you mentioned this uh, platform builder course. This is not a public yeah. course. If you're watching, listen to the stuff, this is something that we're developing right now. And Brian is, is one of several working with us on that, but it's really a, a workshop to help people who have raised some money to scale the business. And really, realistically, we think with a, with an existing platform, we can 10 X, whatever you're raising right now, whatever you're making right now. Uh, so if you're raising whatever, 500,000, then with this platform within 18 months, you're going to be raising 5 million. And it's because you're attracting the right kind of investor and you're cultivating a relationship with them and then leading them to basically invest with you, creating a substantive pre-existing relationship so that you can actually present them with live deals. And, and Brian has recognized that, and he just mentioned here in the podcast, that this is their main issue is scale. Right, because once you have once you've raised five hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars, the uh, scaling that to seven million, the way that you've done it in the past, which is word of mouth, one on one meetings, is really not possible. Uh, well, it certainly is. You know, shout out to Brian Burke; he's done it for the last twenty five years, but it took him twenty five years. <laughs> we want to do it a little faster than that. So yeah. we're going to be basically building platforms, and uh, and we'll be launching this later in probably Q two of twenty twenty, because the need is very big to build platforms uh, in the way we just talked about. So I'm just really impressed with with you guys. And you know, when we had a conversation, you know, you mentioned earlier you're, you're really doing a six or ten unit. Back when you started off, you know, whatever, 14, 15 months ago, and now you guys are like, we're going to do 500 units in 2020. <laughs> like the mindset shift that you've undergone by educating yourself, but also by taking action and getting into your first deal, it just blows my mind. Yeah. You know, I, I was surprised. I'm not going to say surprised, but uh, 
it went a lot faster than I had anticipated. And, you know, it was just getting around people who had done it before, you know, and throw a shout out to Daniel Woodford, you know, and Christine Jefferson. They're, they're the ones that I talked to that, you know, made my mind expand. You know, it's just, just one of those, you know, I sat down with lunch with Christine one day and I talked to Daniel over the phone a couple of times. And uh, they're really the ones that, you know, after talking with them, I'm just like, why am I doing a six, eight, 12 type stuff? You know, yeah. I can go big, you know? So yeah, that, that was really, I think the mindset shift was really the catalyst. And once I made that mindset shift, you know, I just had the, the same attitude that I approach a lot of other things with, you know, th- there's no failure is not an option. You know, the other, the other part of my mindset that I think really helped out is I've got 18 and a half years in the Marine Corps and I'm going to retire as soon as I hit my 20 year mark. As soon as I'm eligible to retire, you know, that's it. So I have a very finite amount of time to make this work. So I also made the decision that I'm going to make this work, number one. And number two, by the time I retire in, you know, summer of 2021, I'm going to be making as much money in real estate as I am in my day job so I can keep supporting the family. And in my mind, I mean, everybody's talking to me about, well, are you going to, you know, there, there's a lot of people that, that get out of the, you know, retire from the Marine Corps and then work for defense contractors or other government agencies. You know, and in my mind, I just completely shut that option off. I'm not going to do that, you know, just to keep it's like you you burn the ships when you get to a new land. So there's no going back. And that's kind of the mental. The other mental shift that I made is I'm going to make this work. This is going to be my next career. And there's no other option. I love that. You're committed to the outcome. There's no other option uh, for whatever it takes, how long it takes. What is, share with us, Brian, the blueprint, okay? Someone sitting there where you were 24 months ago, you know, scratching your head about real estate investing. What's your, what's your advice to them? Put them through basically what I did. I, I did a lot of reading on different methods, you know, different people are better at different things. You know, some people are really good at fix and flips. Some people are really good at, uh, you know, lease options, subject twos, whatever, but there, there's a lot of ways to make money. So the first thing I would say is, you know, just do, do research on different ways to do it and then pick one and get really good at it. I ended up, multifamily resonated with me and I ended up doing everything I could to, to learn more. You know, I started with podcasts and then went into, you know, an online learning program, education program, and then into coaching. You don't have to do all that, but what you need to do is learn the game and get really good at it. And then really from there, it's just take action, don't stop. And that, that's really the two key pieces is once you learn something, put it in action. And that's, that's largely what I did through the whole process is, you know, okay, you know, I need to learn how to, you know, analyze a deal. And so I'd analyze a deal. Okay, I've analyzed deals. Now I need to, ha- need to know how to make an offer. A lot of times I didn't worry about what was six months down the road. You know, I focused on, okay, I just learned how to do this. I'm going to put it in action. Okay, put it in action. Okay, now what's the next step? And, you know, fortunately I had a mentor, so I knew that I'd be able to figure out the next step quickly. And I had a, a network, so I knew I'd be able to set up, get the next step quickly. So, you know, w- once you get, get educated, you, you need to find people that can support you. And that, that's largely it, you know, pick yeah. a plan, stick to it and, you know, find people that can help. Yeah, I love that. It's been great, Brian. Thank you for coming on the show and, and inspiring us. I think that, uh, you know, everyone's trying to figure out how do I get myself in that first deal? And uh, you've done it and you've done it probably faster than maybe you thought it was possible. Mm-hmm. The, the, the truth is, um, you know, you're not the only one doing it basically from scratch. And so I hope that everyone watching, listening, this uh, is inspired by Brian today. Hey, Brian, how can people connect with you? 
Our website's uh, fouroakscapital.com, and my email address is just Brian Briscoe, no punctuation, at fouroakscapital.com, all spelled out. Awesome. Hey, Brian, thanks for being on the show. All right. Hey, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity, and I appreciate you. So I love Brian's last, I don't know, five tips he had at the end, right? Because in his mind, it's like, oh, there's a blueprint. And, you know, he just kind of followed what we taught him to do. But he, I love how he distilled it down. He says, you know, first thing is, is learn. You got to learn the ropes. You'll learn how to analyze deals, how to speak the language. Okay. So you got to learn. What else did he say? He goes, take action, don't stop. This is really a consistent theme with anyone who's successful and who is not successful. Okay. This is a, that they're taking action and they're not stopping. It's consistency. And consistency is a key trait that I found of people who are successful and people who are consistent are committed to the outcome regardless of the timeline. And that's really, really important. The third thing you said is, is just in order to keep taking action consistently, don't think nine steps ahead, okay? Just kind of do the next thing. I always say do the next three things because everybody knows the next three things I should be doing. Just do those. Don't think about the ninth step or the 76th step, okay? You're just going to overwhelm yourself. So don't do that. Just do the next three things. Uh, the fourth thing he said is uh, surround yourself with a support network. And there's really two kinds of support network that you need one way or another. You need a network of peers, okay? A support of peers. These are people who are at your level and they want to do what you want to do, right? So, you know, you're commiserating, you're supporting each other. Maybe you're holding yourself accountable. That's the first group of people. And certainly when, if you're a mentor, we have one-on-one coaching, but also we have group coaching. And uh, they also participate in this Steelmaker Mastermind we talked about on the show and so that connects you with essentially your peers. The other thing, other person you need is you need someone who is the, the experienced person, this mentor, this advisor. And if you can find someone, you know, in, in, in networking, that's great, right? Get them, you know, get them to, to take a lunch with you, get phone calls whenever you need. I think that's really great. These are people who have done what you have done or done what you want to do. In this case, you're looking for someone who is obviously an active uh, multifamily syndicator who has raised money before, can find deals. And in our case, for our students, also has quit their job. So all of our mentors, our coaches, have done exactly that. They're all full-time. They've all quit their job because the transition from a W-2 job to uh, going on your own is a scary one, right? And so you're not only getting mentorship from the actual act of doing a deal, but the actual transition into full-time investing is kind of scary as well. So you need to have that kind of support. And then the second, the fifth thing you said is the network. And we talked a lot about that on the show. The network is so important. And uh, you can't do this alone. It's just, I mean, you could. And, and we have you know, people who have done it alone. Uh, they just tend to take longer and they do smaller deals. And, and partly because of that, they kind of fizzle out at the end, right? Because they just, they don't have that momentum going. This is definitely not a lone wolf uh, it's a team sport for sure. So get it out of your mind that you're all in loan. You got to get out there. You got to mingle with people. You got to meet people. You got to meet partners. You got to build advisors. You got to get out there because like Brian said, it's absolute magic. If you're speaking to someone more experienced and they're like, Brian, don't do a six unit. That's dumb. Don't do that. You, sh you can easily do a 50 plus unit. Easily. It's easy. You can do it. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can. He goes, oh yeah, yeah, my gosh. People do it all the time. Uh, and this is exactly true. People do it all the time. It could be their first deal. It doesn't matter. Don't go with six. And it really uh, instills a belief in you. And so definitely go out and, and build yourself a network and a team. And if you have those two things of support and the network, okay, what happens is you get an unbelievable amount of confidence. 
Now, confidence is super important for several reasons. Number one is it affects your ability to take action, right? Because if you're not confident, you might not take action. So it's going to affect your ability to analyze deals. Oh, I'm not so sure if I'm doing this right. Affect your ability to make offers. Oh, I don't know if it's going to be good enough. So confidence affects everything. It affects how people react to you, especially brokers. You call up a broker and you appear tentative, maybe using the wrong words. And the broker will go, that's great, Michael. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't you send me your proof of funds and I'll maybe send you a deal. That's what they'll say because you didn't sound confident. And so confidence is absolutely critical. And you get that by educating yourself and by practicing and by having support and a network in place. Kind of the way Brian described, it's absolutely key. The good news is when you have that, there's several good news. Number one is it doesn't take a long time. We talked about him doing this first deal in 10 months. Okay, so it takes like 60 to 90 days to build a team and build your confidence, your knowledge. It doesn't take a long time. Uh, and also what happens is that your, your comfort zone expands, when you're, especially when you're working with more experienced people. And especially once you do your first deal, your comfort zone explodes. But it accelerates quite a bit by being around experienced people who kind of go shake their head going, yeah, don't do the small deal, just do the big deal. Oh, yeah? Oh, you can do it. And it expands your comfort zone. And that's a major, major benefit of working with more experienced people. So therefore, the good news is it doesn't take a long time to develop a support group or develop a, a network, um, especially if you have a, a mentor. And if you're looking for a mentor, if you think that's right for you, um, then you might be interested in our mentoring program. We talked a lot about, lot about you can find out about at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. And you can find out and schedule a strategy session with us. And the thing is, though, here's the thing. I'm looking for the right kind of person. And I am looking for someone who's coachable. And I'm looking for someone who takes action, doesn't stop. And who's willing to invest with them and sees the value in having a mentor, kind of like Brian. If you're one of those people, then definitely schedule a conversation with us. That's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. We've done this now often now, and our track record is so good that we can actually guarantee results. So in fact, we will guarantee that you'll do your first deal in the first 12 months. It's a 12-month program. If for some reason it takes longer, we'll work with you as long as it takes. And it's because we know that once we have the right person, then the results are inevitable. Okay, They're not a question mark, they're inevitable. So if that really excites you, then schedule out a uh, call with us at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Again, keep this in mind. Think joint venturing partnering, okay? Really, it really accelerates the process considerable. So hopefully you found that inspiring. And yeah, you guys have a great rest of the day, great rest of the week, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.